we have been talking about unity, uh, unity as uh, understanding Christ's vision for unity uh, among us. Um, this, this is the fourth message uh, since I came back from sabbatical. Uh, you remember we talked about uh, Fresh Start um, and am I allowing God to bring about that Fresh Start? Um, you know, that doesn't just happen just because we came to a church service. It's something that God is working on in our spirit and drawing us to himself. And maybe, maybe you're feeling so hungry. Maybe you're feeling such a yearning for him in your heart. Uh, maybe today is a day of uh, freshness and newness for you. Uh, we talked about personal culture and what that looks like. Uh, am I becoming the person, the witness that God made me to be? Um, so my personal culture, man, I just, I've just been so, uh, I've been so wrapped up in that. I've been meeting new people yesterday. Um, I knew kind of what my day was going to be like, and I was excited, and I thought, uh, as I was praying in the morning, I thought, okay, Lord, who am I going to uh, have a chance to meet today? And so I um, did a funeral, and I met a number of people there, and I met a new funeral director that was in the area here and got to ride in the car with him for about 20 minutes, and man, we had a great talk uh, uh, about him. And uh, then I met a guy, his name was Craig, and met Jordan last night uh, talking to him. Uh, just, just really good, just thinking about what is God doing through you? What is he wanting to accomplish uh, in you and through you? And finally, we talked uh, last week, part one of kind of the unity message. Jesus calls us to unity. He wants us to be one. And we're going to continue that today. So we're thinking about unity. Uh, unity is really the soul of fellowship. Uh, you know, if, if you destroy a church's unity, you really rip out the heart of the church. Unity is the core of how God wants us to experience life together in his church. So uh, unity, so important for us. I mentioned it last week that Jesus says more about unity uh, through the gospels there than he even talks about heaven or hell. Did you know that? That uh, God wants us to experience true unity, true community, true oneness, harmony with each other and with other believers. Uh, and, you know, when you get to heaven, we're all going to be, it's all going to be unity and all be one together. But God's trying to get us to practice right now. So we're, we're working on it uh, while, we're, while we're still here. So there's nothing more valuable to God than his church. Uh, we are his bride. We are his body, the flock. The Bible tells us that Christ died for the church. So in, uh, in John 17, you know, he, he prays a prayer saying, I'm praying for them, us, that they'll be unified as one, Father, just as you and I are one. May they be unified as one. Uh, the Father's like a, every human parent. Uh, the Heavenly Father wants his children to get along with each other. You want your kids to get along, don't you? You want your grandkids to get along? So today we're, we're looking at how can we do that? How can we get along better as brothers and sisters in the family? Uh, first, I wanted to just give you a little summary of um, 
what we talked about last week. I gave you like 10 uh, different statements that summarize um, why unity is so important in the church. Um, I'm not going to try to go back through all of that with all the scriptures, but I'll just give you the, the headlines of those 10 statements we looked at. Number one, and it's on your outline, uh, you see that the Bible teaches us that my unity with other believers is proof that I'm saved. Proof that I'm saved. Number two, the Trinity is our model for unity. Number three, Jesus' last prayer request was that those of us in the church would live in unity. Number four, our unity is our greatest witness to unbelievers. Five, unity removes fear and creates boldness. I mean, if you want less fearfulness and more boldness, that's the, the key is unity together. Number six, when a church is fully unified, everybody's needs are, are met. We looked at Acts and understood that. Seven, focusing on our common purpose is what creates unity. Number eight, unity begins when we realize that we are incomplete without each other. You need me, I need you, nobody has all the gifts, God needs all of us working together. Number nine, Jesus died to unite us, not to divide us. And number 10, Jesus expects me to work hard at unifying Christians and expects you and me to work together to accomplish it. All of us bear a responsibility with that. So um, with that as the foundation, the, the question was, what is my part? What is, what is my role? What am I supposed to do? How, what am I, how do I own my part in fulfilling Christ's vision for unity? Um, do you do what God has asked us to do. One day we're going to stand before him and that's going to be the question. Did we follow his ways? Did we obey his command? So how can we be agents of unity, agents of reconciliation uh, in the church? How can I take responsibility for unity in my church? Well, since God paid the highest price for the church, he wants it protected. He wants us to, um, not fill it with division and conflict and disharmony. We are God's people and we are called to unity. You are commissioned by God. Did you know that? Well, now you do. Yeah, you are commissioned by God to preserve the unity, to protect the fellowship, to protect, promote the harmony in the family of God. And by the way, that includes all believers, all believers. So today, uh, just four simple steps that kind of help us think about what is, what is my role? What is my part? I gave you 10 last week, so I figured that was a little too many. So we do four uh, this week. Um, so number one, if you're following along on your outline there, I'm going to give you four words and kind of how that word expresses the point that we're looking at. So number one, the key action word for number one is focus. Focus. Say focus. Focus. So focus means that you get your sight right, that you're looking at it right. It's kind of like, um, you know, you ever tried to take a uh, family photo? You know, if you didn't get it in focus, it's wonky. I mean, it's messed up. Uh, people's faces, it just doesn't turn out right. So you got to get the right focus. When we get together with other Christians, our focus is on things that we have in common. So the point is focus on what we share not on our differences. Focus on what we share, what we have in common, not our differences. 
Romans 14, 19, I love this, says, let us concentrate on things which create harmony. Concentrate on things that create harmony and the growth of our fellowship together. So think about that a minute. What, what does it mean to concentrate? Um, you know, does it mean just kind of let your mind go wherever it wants to? No, it means focus. Uh, you have to focus. Um, sometimes Fred and Rosie, they work with our quizzers, and I know sometimes they say, you got to concentrate. <laughs> you got to get you and your, you know, our kids are doing remote learning. You hear, you hear mom or dad or grandma saying, you got to concentrate. What are you trying to say? You say, you got to get your focus on the right things. You got to choose to figure out what you're going to focus in on. When he says, let's focus on things that create harmony and unity, he's saying we decide that we're going to focus on things that bring us together, what we have in, in common, because we're all different. We look different, we act different, we're from different backgrounds, different sizes, different shapes, different genders, even different races. What are the things that are common that God wants us to concentrate on? Uh, there's a, tons of things that are, could be talked about from the Bible, but just in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, notice how many times he uses the word one in, in this paragraph. He says, there's one body, there's one spirit, that we are called to one hope. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and only one God who is Father of us all, who is over all, and is through all, and is in all. Wow. Focus on things that you have in common. So what we have a lot in common, don't we? We are part of one body. He doesn't have multiple bodies. He just has the church. We have one spirit. All of us have the same spirit of God in us. We all share one hope. You know what that hope is? That hope is that in the second coming of Jesus Christ, he didn't stay dead. He, he was dead on the cross, but he was resurrected. He went back to heaven and he promised that he's going to return for us. We have one Lord. We don't have idols. We don't have multiple gods. We have one Lord, one faith, and that faith is contained in one book, the Bible. Not multiple books. It's one book, one faith that God has given us, and one baptism, which means that you don't have to get baptized every time you get blessed on Sunday. One baptism, the forgiveness that he has offered to us. What is he saying? He's saying that we have the same salvation. We share forgiveness. We share the same grace. We share the same mercy. We share the same life of Christ in us. We share the same future. Those are factors that bring us together regardless of where you grew up or what happened to you or your economic status or your background or even the sins that have been a part of your life. These are things that God wants us to focus on, not our personal agenda, not our personal preferences or just our differences. It's so important to remember that all the differences that we have, those were created by God too, just as well as those things that are in common. It was God who chose to give us different personalities. It was God who chose to give us different backgrounds. 
different, uh, all kind of different perspectives and preferences. That means that we should value and enjoy even people that are different than us. Amen. God doesn't want us to merely tolerate others. He wants us to be united with others. Now, unity, we talked about it last week, this week. Unity is not uniformity. Uh, did you hear that? You, you, unity is not uni, uniform. God doesn't, when he says, I want you to be united, he doesn't want all of us to be alike. I mean, just look to your left or look to your right. If he wanted all of us to be the same, he would have created us the same. But God made us different. So when you say, I don't really like that person, how they act or how they live. I don't, I don't like that, the person in that race or that ethnic background. Oh, God must have made a mistake, huh? You should have made everybody like me. God wants unity. Lord, help us on that one. I heard that somewhere. Okay. God wants unity, but not uniformity. For unity's sake, we let our differences that are a part of us, but they, we let them divide us. But we shouldn't let our differences divide us. We stay focused on what matters most. And what is that? Learning to love each other as Christ has loved us and fulfilling God's presence and purpose in each of us in the church. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, pastor. But what about all those differences in people that, that really irritate me? How am I supposed to deal with those people? How am I supposed to be unified when they just irritate me to no end? Well, here, here's a couple of verses. Um, let me say this. When there's conflict, it's usually a sign that the focus has shifted to something less important. Something that the Bible calls in Romans 14, disputable matters. See, there are some things that we have to agree on. We agree that Jesus is the son of God that he died on the cross for all of us, that he rose again on the third day. We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks. He, he's coming back one day. The Bible is God's word. Those are not disputable matters, but there are disputable matters between well-meaning people, Christians that can have differences of opinion. And John 14, the whole chapter is really about it, but in John 14, 1, uh, this verse is not on the screen, but it says, you must accept all fellow believers, even weak ones, without arguing and judging them for different opinions. That is a difficult verse to, to live out. The, the one translation says this, I think this is on the screen. Listen to this. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who do not see things the way you do. Hey, amen. Come on. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Don't, don't jump all over them and do something that just because they do something you don't agree with. They have their own, listen to this, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Boy, what a sentence that is. They have their own history to deal with. So do you. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to, to look down on a person, we look at how far a person still has to go instead of realizing how far they've come. You know, maybe we should say, man, they've really come a long way. But it's so easy to judge, uh, not looking at where, what, what they are de dealing with, what they are struggling with. You know, maybe we need to look at the, kind of look at their background or where they came from. Maybe to say to a brother or sister, boy, 
they came out of a tough spot. You know, you don't know. You don't know what their childhood was like or what they grew up in poverty or were an orphan or just had a tough upbringing. I mean, when you don't know the background of somebody else's, uh, especially somebody in Christ, you know, we, we tend to act like we know everything. So we dismiss or we judge. Uh, let, me, let me help you with that. I'll give you a little a tip on perspective. When you come across somebody that is irritating or frustrating you and you think you just can't get along, instead of saying, what is wrong with them? That, that's, that's what we say. Maybe I could say, what happened to them? What happened to them? What, what have they been going through? Because there's always hurt. There's always tra trauma. I mean, when you come upon a person, you know, hurt people hurt people. If, if, if you dig deep enough, if you find somebody that has a hurt, you know, the people that deserve it the least in our eyes most of the time need love the most. When you see somebody that irritates you, instead of, what's wrong with them? Lord, what happened to them? How can I pray for them? What caused that to be that way? Paul understood that. The great importance of unity in the family. By the way, you, you wrote that down, didn't you? I was noticing somebody just kind of staring at me. Not what's wrong with them, but what happened to them. Paul talks about that. 1 Corinthians 1.10 is the next verse. Uh, it says, uh, he says, let there be real harmony. Real harmony. So there's no divisions in the church. This is what Jesus wants. This is the vision of the church. I want no divisions in the church. Paul says, I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. If you're taking notes, circle, plead, circle, purpose. Those two words, plead and purpose, um, for it to happen in our church, it takes passion. He's pleading. I plead with you. I'm begging with you to get along with each other for unity. There has to be passion and there has to be common purpose. I believe that's why Pekin has grown how it is. You know, we tried not to get off track. We stay focused on the word of God. That's really all we, all we do here is teach the word of God. We pray. We love people. We point others to Jesus Christ. If we get off on some other purpose, then we're going to find division rather than unity together. Um, let, me, let me give you the second one, number two. The second way that we can be uh, a force, an agent, a reconciler for unity, uh, focus was first. Number two, realize. Realize. Say that. Realize. Realize is like... Um, I'm observing. I'm, a, I'm aware of something. What, 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 am, what am I noticing? And we must realize that I must work continually at unity. At unity. I realize that it's not just something that's going to happen accidentally. We're not going to go, whoops, we're unified. <laughs> you know, it's going to be something that we work at. If we're going to be close to people, if we're going to be harm in harmony with other people, we're going to have to work at it. If we're going to have harmony in a small group that we have or in a class or in any area of the church, a ministry of the church, uh, we have to work at it. Ephesians 4.3 4, said, make every effort, underline that, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, bind yourselves together together living in peace with each other. 
Uh, I like that phrase, make every effort. Takes work. Unity doesn't happen. Unity in your family takes work. Unity in relationships, unity in your marriage, uh, that unity in the church. By the way, that's, um, that's some helpful marriage counseling right there. Work at unity if you're going to have that uh, togetherness in, in your family, in your marriage. So unity happens when we're intentional about it and we say, I'm going to make that happen. We're going to make every effort to build unity. So how do I do that? I'm, uh, I could give you a bunch of different tips. I'll just give you two kind of related to the church that, uh, that if we allow them, they end up destroying the unity of the church. Number one is... Something not to do. Don't bring worldly values into the church. Don't bring worldly values into the church. Why? Because every time we bring worldly values into the church, it causes division. One of the, one of the world's values, and we see it every day, is the way people idolize celebrities. And, you know, you, every magazine you look at, probably every, everything you see on TV, it's got some kind of celebrity. Um, you know, Kids are looking for it. See these like junior high girls and sixth grade boys, and they're trying to get an audience on the internet, and they're trying to create some kind of presence of themselves, some kind of fame and reputation. You know, God helps us to understand that reputation may not always cracked up to be. Character is what He's about. Character. Um, it can it can be that way in the church because in the church. Character matters, not just fame or reputation. Um, you know, a lot of people can just be famous for doing nothing. <laughs> you know how that is? But it matters to God. It matters because of, he cares about character. Because character reveals the truth about who you are. The truth about who you are. And God is all about truth. Not faking it, not just putting on a front. So whenever we focus on personalities or preference or power or pleasure or prestige or pop, pop, popularity, division is, is the result. But if we concentrate on relationships, on loving one another, then harmony is the result. Paul is pleading for this in his letter to the Corinthians. A little background. Um, they're having conflict. You know, virtually every chapter in 1 Corinthians is a is a topic about division that is happening and Paul's response to them. And he's noticing that the people are giving their loyalty to different leaders and not giving their loyalty to Christ and each other. And so all of a sudden they find themselves uh, dividing, divided in that. They're one saying, well, I'm for this one, or I'm in this party, or I'm in that party. And Paul actually had to write a letter to tell them they were acting more like unbelievers than believers. Um, he's recognizing that. They, they begin to say things like, well, I'm, I'm for Paul. I'm for the party of Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Somebody over here says, oh, no, no, no. We're for Apollos. We're for Apollos. We, we, we listen to Apollos. And he says to them, what is Paul? Nothing. What is Apollos? Nothing. It is Christ. Christ. He's encouraging them not to let there to be divisions among them. So, you know, I just tell you, whether it's me or a, somebody you hear on TV or on the Internet or a radio preacher or some politician, if they're causing division in the church, we are not listening to that. Avoid bringing what the world thinks is so important into the church. Second thing is to avoid 
Uh, I mean, if we're going to work at unity, we can't be drawn into the world's fights. Man, there are lots of those going on, right? I mean, I'll have to tell you that there's conflict all over our society, our culture, in the world. People are arguing about everything. Everything. I mean, it's gotten worse because we have these communication tools and social media and the Internet. People argue about everything, right? You know, Jesus said, John 18, 36, he's, he's kind of asked this political question. And then his, here's his answer. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. My kingdom's not of this world, he says. Uh, he, he's saying what the world is fighting about is not our fight. I mean, we have a battle, but it's not that one. As Christians, we are called to speak up for the truth, to speak up for the vulnerable, for those that are elderly or poor, those that are uh, broken and strangers and prisoners, and to speak up for those who are denied justice. You know, there are moral issues that the church stands. Do you know what? The Bible has thousands of verses about taking care of the poor, right? And those that are, that are treated unjustly. I said it in the prayer. You know, the devil brings up some kind of division in our, in our country, it seems like, every week. But you know what? We have, something, we have things that we have to stand for. We're not just doing the fight that the, that the world is involved in. We've got to make sure what is the Bible called us to stand for. My, my opinion, even as a preacher, is worthless if it doesn't match up with what God has to say. So 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24. It's talking about people that like to fight and argue. Listen to this. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Then it says, the Lord's servant must never quarrel. Are you a servant of God? The Lord's servant must never quarrel. The Lord's servant, he says, and, uh, that, that's one of the, I've had that underlined in my Bible for 35 years as a pastor. If I'm going to be a servant of God, if you're going to be a woman, a man of God, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, you must be kind to everybody, able to teach and patient with everyone. You must be humble, gently teaching those who oppose the truth. I mean, what does that mean? It means in a world where everybody likes to argue, don't start arguments. Don't get into arguments. That makes our Heavenly Father sad. And it's nothing new, right? I mean, it's been going on for thousands of years. I mean, in fact, they were having a church meeting in Rome, and Paul writes them, and they got into this big conflict. You know what the conflict was over? What are we going to eat? What's kind of the guidelines about, about our food? The verse says, Romans 12, 20. Don't tear apart the work of God over a rule about the color of the carpet or the color of the walls or the chains or mask. Oh, sorry. Food. I'm, I'm sorry. Mm. Don't tear apart the work of God over secondary issues. God says our priorities can get out of whack. Focus. Realize. Number three. Third step in creating unity, and I think we all need to work on, is that we're in an age where there's more division going on in society and it can easily end up in the church. 
So number three is the word offer. Offer. Focus, realize, offer. Offer is what do I bring? What do I bring to the table? What is God doing in my life? What do I have to bring? My time, my talent. When, when you're talking to people, I offer in, encouragement instead of criticism. Encouragement instead of criticism. That's a good one for your refrigerator right there. Or no, your, your, your computer. That's, that's even better right there. Our culture does not offer much encouragement, but it loves to offer criticism. I mean, that's what it offers. People make a living being critics. You notice that? Hardly anybody makes a living by being, in cult- being an encourager. Now, I'm trying. <laughs> Romans 14, 19, and 20 says, let's use all our energy in getting along with each other. I mean, you want to direct your energy in the right way. Use all your energy. He doesn't just say once in a while or when you happen to think about it. Use all your energy in getting along with one another. Help each other by using encouraging words. Help each other by using encouraging words that don't drag others down by finding fault. More encouragement, less criticism. Don't drag each other down by just finding fault. I know what you're thinking. I'm all for encouragement, Pastor. But what do you do when something's wrong? And somebody's, I mean, you just know it's wrong. Do you just ignore it? You don't criticize it? Their answer is, of course not. But there's a way of dealing with things. It's a mark of a leader, of a servant, to learn a skill where you can talk about something difficult, even pointing out a problem and doing it in a positive way. That's a skill. Well, why, Pastor? Why would I be interested in saying it in a positive way? Well, if you're going to influence others around you, listen to this verse. Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. See, that's in the Bible. That's not Lloyd Brock. That's the Bible. The more pleasant your words, the more persuasive you'll be. Did you write that one down? Kind of get it stuck away there. I mean, if, if I'm going to be persuasive and influencing others, I cannot be abrasive. I mean, if you are abrasive, you are not going to be persuasive. Hasn't that happened to you? Somebody comes up to you and they just kind of, they just let you have it about whatever the topic is or whatever they think about you and they walk away and you're like, boy, what happened to them? Because that abrasiveness did not change you. People say things like, well, I just tell it like it is. I don't think anybody's ever been changed by tell it like it is. But people are changed when you come in faith. You know, we have to talk about hard things. Oh, my. You should be with me sometimes, some weeks. It's hard. You know, how are you going to respond to this and respond to that and deal with this and deal with that? But, um, you know, I'm, I'm never like a, a quick responder. Like, if you write me, it might be a little while, um, a few days or whatever. Why? Because I'm praying that God would, would help to figure out the best way, not to just smooth it over. You know, sometimes you got to talk about hard things. 
But you can figure out how does the Holy Spirit want me to deal with that? Because I'm trying to be an influence for unity. I am working hard. I am offering this opportunity to bring uh, encouragement rather than criticism. You know, it's so easy to stand on the sidelines and take shots at people instead of getting involved and making a contribution to making things different. Amen, Pastor. So God warns us over and over again not to criticize, not to compare, not to judge each other. He says it literally hundreds of times in the scripture. You may not realize it, but when we criticize other believers or we criticize one another, we are breaking down and interfering with God's work, his business. Romans 14, 4. What right do you have to criticize somebody else's servant? They're not your servant. They're God's servant. What right do you have to criticize somebody else's servant? Only the Lord can decide if they're doing right. That's verse 4. Down in verse 10 right there, Paul adds that we must not stand in judgment or look down on other believers who, who have a little difference than us. Philip's translation says, verse 10, why do you criticize your brother's actions? Why do you try to make him look so small? We, all, we will all be judged not by each other's standards but even, or even by my own, but by the judgment of God. You know, the Bible tells us that Satan is the accuser of the believer. That's Romans 12, 10. You know, in that, that means it's the devil's job he takes it on himself to blame, to complain, to criticize one another, and then calls us to, to try to do that as well. He's the accuser of Christians. So when we get involved in a breakdown in relationships, um, Satan takes a holiday. I don't have to worry about that today. Y'all are doing it to yourself. He didn't want the church. God didn't want the church to be like that. You know, when, when we spend time comparing or judging or criticizing other believers, uh, we should have spent that time building up the unity of our fellowship. Focus, realize, offer, serve. Number four, last point, serve. Find my place for God to use me. Serve. See, we got two choices. We can live self-centered, not worry about those that we hurt and walk around being critical and judgmental of others, even other Christians. Or the second choice is that we can live Christ-centered lives. Not self-centered, but a person that cares about what God cares about. Learns how to really love. Uh, show you two other verses. Galatians 5, 13 to 15 says, You've been called to live in freedom, not freedom to indulge your selfish nature, but freedom to serve each other in love. God's entire law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. But you keep biting and devouring each other and tearing each other apart. You will be destroyed by each other. You've been called, he says, to live in freedom. Freedom to not just be selfish, but freedom to serve each other in love. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you keep biting, I thought, what? That's the Bible. If you keep biting and devouring each other, tearing each other apart, you will be destroyed. The second verse is from Ephesians 4.12, describes what we're trying to accomplish in the church. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body 
in Christ. You see, when you serve, you have an investment. You give of your time. You give of your talents and the things that, that you can offer for the church to be better and more unified. If you serve, you are less likely to complain or mock or put your personal preference as the goal. Because you've got some skin in the game, as sometimes they say. I mean, do you believe that God can use you? See, the Bible helps us to understand that God uses anything, anybody, anything. When Jesus healed, you know, one time he used mud. <laughs> he used water. God says he spoke one time through a donkey. He used blind people, paralyzed people, tax collector, arrogant, wild-natured fisherman, Moses with a rod in his hand, or David with a rock uh, and a sling. All these things God used to accomplish his plan and purposes in the world. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Oh, pastor, not me. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not capable. I'm not smart enough. Come on. No excuses. If God can use a rock, he can use you, right? Come on. As we move forward as a church, as we continue to figure out what God is wanting for us as we, as we get in these next few months, um, what, how does God want to use you? You know, one of the things I notice as I work with my staff is that as we're continuing to try to reestablish various ministries and needs that we have, that it's taking a while for us to connect back to the volunteers that we need. So uh, on, on your outline, as well as on the communication card, uh, I wrote there today like 13 different ministry opportunity areas. Now, here's what I'm not doing. I'm not saying, well, you used to be involved in this, so do you want to do that again? Why don't you try something new? Why don't you ask God what he would like for you to do? My friend Dalton over there. I was walking by him this morning. Is this okay if I talk about it? All right. So we were, uh, sorry, too late. <laughs> so, uh, shoot. Um, so Dalton's been here about three weeks, uh, these last three weeks. And so I'm walking by him today and greeting him and all that. And he says, um, Jake, you'll love this. He said, how did I get to go up there? He's talking about production and all that. What he's saying was, I'm looking for something to do. How could I help? How could I be a support? How could I be involved? I know that. And I said, well, today's your day, man. Look on this card. See there, it's talking to, uh, on that page that has all the little paragraph. It tells you exactly what production is looking for and what their needs are. I told him, you mark that. Our friend Jake will give you a call, give you some training, and you can be involved right there. Isn't that awesome? Good job, Dalton. So what, what about you? What are you doing to help the church to be unified together and accomplish the ministries that he's calling us to do? Every single week, you hear Cheryl or Callie, somebody's up here, and they're saying, on the back of the card, you know what there is? There's something you can do. And most of the time, it's like one-time opportunities. We're not asking you to give your whole life away. You know, we got to talk about that. If you're going to teach a class or you want to do something like that, we need to work together and figure that out. But you can t come and put candy in eggs, right? You know what's going to happen when you come? 
you're going to make some friends. You're going to meet some people that you didn't even know came to this church. You're going to get connected with other people. You know, there's a, there's a couple of girls that are here that just lately, as we came back, have started to greet at one of our doors. You know, they didn't even know each other. And old Becky put them together. You know, they're like best friends. I see them coming in. It's just like they're so excited about each other. They are just so happy. They've realized that God is using them to bring unity by them finding a role where they can serve, where they can feel like they belong. So um, I'm going to sing you a song. And this song is designed to get you to think about what does God want you to do? How could God use me to contribute to what is happening in this church and what the future of this church is about. The song says, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my 
it well You took a shepherd boy, David With a sling in his hand He took a rock with that sling in his hand Flung that rock and the giant fell dead If you can use anything, Lord You know, the, the Lord does not want us just to be thermometers and just to walk around and say how hot it is and how messed up it is and how, how difficult the word is. How about I just use this right here? Um, we are called to be thermostats to impact the culture around us. Uh, we want to change the culture. We want to change and influence the people that are around us. And the only way to do that is to do it together and to use our, our skills, our talent, all that we have to be a part of the unity that God wants for his church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, speaking to us today. Thank you for speaking to me. Lord, we want to be uh, that church. We want to be those people. We want to impact the people around us. And we don't want to do it by being abrasive or just complaining. or put, We want to do it, Lord, by being united together, offering encouragement and finding ways that we can belong and be used by God. 
So I pray, Lord, that as we're thinking about that, that we would mark that communication card or go by the, the table out there and pick up a sticker that we can put on a cup and maybe remind us to pray or to think about what does God want us to do. Lord, wouldn't it be amazing if every single person watching online would, would ask, God, what do you want me to do? That every one of us that is sat in this sanctuary today would ask you, Lord, use me, Jesus. Show me how I can be used by you. Help me not to think I'm too old or don't have enough or not educated enough or some other reason that we would come up with. Old Moses came up with every excuse in the book, but God still used him, stretched out that rod and walked across on dry land. Lord, help us to be people of influence by our unity together and how we serve you and how we give of ourselves to you. Thank you. Thank you for all of this scripture that's so powerful to us. We love you, and we ask you to be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.